Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents his teaching, Slaying Easter's Sacred Cows. All right, well, today is Easter Sunday, and what a wonderful sunny day it is to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. I want to kick off today's message by doing something a little different, uh, by uh, repeating a greeting that ancient Christians used to use back in the day, and I want to get it on the podcast. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to come out here as close as I can to you, and I'm going to say, He is risen, and I want you to say as loudly as you can towards the microphone, He is risen indeed. Please give it to me, all you got, from, from the depth of your heart. Okay, so here we go. He is risen. Oh, that was awesome. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. You know, the reason I had us do that as a church is because I'm going to be talking today about slaying Easter's sacred cows. And in the process of working through the message, uh, I will probably challenge some of your traditional thinking when it comes to the death, burial, resurrection of our Lord. So I want you to know ahead of time that the most important thing to remember about this topic is this. Jesus did die on the cross, and He was raised from the dead. Amen? And He did so that you and I could be freed from the bondage of sin and live the life of victory that God has planned for us. So we might have to agree to disagree on some things, but this much we can agree on. This much we know for sure. He is risen. Amen. He is risen indeed. All right, so what I'm going to do is ask you two questions this morning that are designed to get you to think. And ultimately, hopefully, to drive you to the Scriptures to find out what you really believe about the Easter story. In other words, I don't want you to determine your beliefs based on what I say, or what other Christian leaders say, or what Christian tradition says. I want you to base your beliefs on what the Bible says. Amen? You know, traditions are okay. There's nothing wrong with traditions when it comes to uh, your spiritual life, how you approach God, how you approach your fellow man. But if your tradition starts to outweigh the truth of the Word, then you're in trouble. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. All right, here's the first question I want to ask. Was Jesus in the tomb for three days and three nights? Was Jesus in the tomb for three days and three nights? You know, it's an open question and a little bit more involved than you might think. The most common belief, the traditional belief is that Jesus was crucified on a Friday morning, Good Friday, we call it. He was nailed to the cross at 9 a.m. Six hours later at 3 p.m., He died. Sometime between 3 p.m. and 6 p.m. Friday evening, He was put into the tomb. All right? And then on Sunday morning, He was raised from the dead. That's what we were all taught since we were in Sunday school. Amen? Consider this, however. Jesus prophesied that he would give only one sign to the nation of Israel, and that would be the sign of the prophet Jonah. 
So turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. We'll be reading verses 38 through 40. Matthew chapter 12. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now there's no way, if taken literally, that this prophecy could be fulfilled with the traditional timeline. No matter how you look at it, you cannot come up with three days and three nights from Friday evening through Sunday morning. So the most common explanation is that portions of a day are counted as full days. Well, that takes care of the days, but even with this method, you can't come up with three nights. Some have even suggested that the three hours of darkness while Jesus was on the cross count as one of the nights. Some have even said that the arrest, incarceration, and interrogation of Jesus counted as the missing night. That's kind of stretching it or grasping at straws in my view. No, I believe the answer is much, much simpler. I believe Jesus was in the heart of the earth exactly three days and three nights, just as he said he would be. So let's dig a little deeper here and see what we can find. One of the key things you have to consider when putting together an Easter timeline is this. Because it was unlawful for the Jews to do any work on the Sabbath, those that buried Jesus wanted to make sure his body was buried before the Sabbath began. And the traditional assumption is that the Sabbath mentioned in Scripture was the weekly Sabbath, which was observed on Saturday. Everybody tracking with me so far? But there were other special Sabbaths that were observed throughout the year that could fall on any day of the week. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, verse 50 through 54. Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. He had not consented to their decision and deed. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. So Joseph of Arimathea was a righteous Pharisee and a closet follower of Jesus Christ. Amen. Verse 52. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever lain before. That day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew near. So again, I'm getting ahead of myself, but even here in verse 54, we have a clue that this Sabbath may have been associated with the Passover because it talks about the preparation for the Passover. 
So, all right, before we go any further, we need to talk about how we reckon our days and how the Jews reckon their days, because if we don't, we're going to get confused. Our days begin at 12 a.m. midnight and end 24 hours later at 12 a.m. midnight. Our days start with six hours of night, followed by 12 hours of daylight, followed by six hours of night, of course, depending on the time of year, it'll vary slightly. But Jewish 24-hour days start at 6 p.m. in the evening and end at 6 p.m. the next evening. Jewish days have 12 hours of night followed by 12 hours of daylight. Their night comes before their day. So once again, if the traditional assumption is correct and the Sabbath in this scripture is talking about the weekly Sabbath, they had to get Jesus off the cross and buried before 6 p.m. on Friday because that was the beginning of their Saturday, the weekly Sabbath. I remember when Trish and I were in Israel, how odd we thought it was that Friday night at 6 p.m., it became Saturday. And a lot of the shops closed down and whatnot for the Sabbath. So if all of this has you confused, I got some more slides to help you along the way. The first thing I'm going to do is show you the traditional timeline that has Jesus crucified and buried on Friday and resurrected from the dead on Sunday morning. So look on the slide there. The traditional timeline goes something like this. Friday day, Jesus is buried in the tomb between 3 and 6 p.m. before the weekly Sabbath began. Saturday night, Jesus' body is in the tomb. Saturday day, Jesus' body is in the tomb. Sunday night, Jesus' body is in the tomb. Sunday day, a few minutes after 6 a.m., Jesus is raised from the dead and reveals himself alive to Mary Magdalene. So let's count up the days and nights and see what we come up with. You're going to have to trust me on this because you won't be able to do it on the slides. When we look at the days... We get a few hours on Friday, a full day on Saturday, and a few minutes on Sunday. Remember, the Bible says in John 20, verse 1, that when Mary Magdalene came to the tomb, it was still dark. So it could not have been much more than a few minutes past 6 a.m. in the morning. So that's three days if you count the portions of days as full days. Again, I think that's suspect. But if you count portions as full days, you get three days. But when we look at the nights, we get a full night on Saturday and a full night on Sunday, but that's only two nights. We're missing a third night. So you see, in the traditional timeline, the weekly Sabbath, which was on Saturday, drives you toward a scenario that has Jesus crucified on Friday and raised from the dead on Sunday morning. And there's no way you can get three full days and three full nights out of the traditional timeline. But here's the thing most people miss. I've already alluded to it. There were special Sabbaths observed throughout the year in addition to the weekly Sabbath on Saturday. And it just so happens that Passover was considered a special Sabbath 
that was celebrated every year on the 15th day of Nisan on the Hebrew calendar, regardless of the day of the week on which it fell. Now, you can read that if you're taking notes. You can read about that in Exodus 12, verse 16. Leviticus 23, verse 5 through 7. And Numbers 28, verse 16. So this tells us that there could have been a Passover Sabbath during the week in question, which was followed by the weekly Sabbath on Saturday. So with this in mind, let's see if we can come up with a timeline with the days and nights we need to fulfill the prophecy of Jonah. All right, the next slide is our alternate timeline. All right, stay with me because this is kind of lengthy. We're dealing with a lot more days here. Wednesday day, Jesus is buried in the tomb between 3 and 6 p.m. before the Passover Sabbath began on Thursday. Thursday night, Jesus' body is in the tomb, and of course, His spirit is in the heart of the earth. Thursday day, Jesus' body is in the tomb. Friday night, Jesus' body is in the tomb. Friday day, Jesus' body is in the tomb. Saturday night, Jesus' body is in the tomb. Saturday day, sometime between 3 and 6 p.m. at the end of the third day, the Bible says he was risen on the third day, Jesus is raised from the dead. But it does not say the third day was Sunday. It just says the third day. Sunday night, Jesus is alive. For 12 hours, I think he was roaming the garden. He was probably communing with his father. He was probably having a good old time checking out this new body that he had. The things he could do that he couldn't do before when he was in a natural human body. Now he's in a supernatural human body. There's a lot of things you could have been doing in that 12 hours. And I'm sure he was doing them. And I'm sure he was praying to his father God, thankful that he had been raised from the dead. I feel the anointing on that. Whew. And then Sunday day, early Sunday morning, Jesus reveals himself alive to Mary Magdalene. Now, I'm not going to put you through another count of the days and nights like last time, but if you study the alternative timeline carefully, you'll see that it allows for three full days and three full nights for Jesus' body to be in the tomb and for his spirit to be in the heart of the earth. Only, listen, only with a Wednesday crucifixion followed by a Thursday Passover Sabbath, a Saturday resurrection, and a Sunday reveal. Now, to be honest, there's a few complications with the alternate timeline, and I don't really have time to go through it, but it has far less problems than the traditional timeline. So I'm convinced that many of us are on the right track in exploring this timeline as a possibility for the Easter chronology. Amen. And once again, if, if we disagree on the timeline, we can absolutely agree on this. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. It's nothing worth arguing about, but it is worth checking out. Amen. All right. All right, let's, now that i got your brain scrambled, let's move on to the next question. I think this one is a little bit more straightforward. You might agree with me. You might not. 
Why was the stone rolled away from the tomb? I'll say it again. Why was the stone rolled away from the tomb? Well, before I begin to answer that, I want to read from Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 6. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. So why, again, was the stone rolled away from the tomb of Jesus? If you're not careful, you might say, so that Jesus could get out. But of course, you know, he had a resurrection body. We've already talked about that. He had a glorified body and did not need for the stone to be removed for him to get out. He could simply pass through the stone. So here's the answer to that question. The stone was rolled away so the evidence of the resurrection could be seen and reported to the world. That's why the angel said to them, He is not here. He is risen. Come see where he lay. Come see the evidence he left behind. It wasn't just that his body was no longer in the tomb. There was more to it than that. Because the chief priest could easily come up with a story that said Jesus' disciples came and stole the body and just claimed that he was raised from the dead. And that's exactly what they did. They made up a bogus story regardless of the evidence that they had to have seen. Now, why do I say that? Well, you know, the chief priests came to Pilate with their concerns that Jesus' disciples might try to stage a resurrection by stealing his body. They were asking for Roman sentries to guard the tomb. And Pilate replied and said, you got your own temple guards. Provide your own watch. So you got to know that those temple guards who reported directly to the chief priests who fell to the ground overwhelmed when the angel rolled away the stone. you got to know when they finally got up, they went straight to the chief priest and told them everything that they had seen. And even though it doesn't specifically say it in the Scriptures, I'm telling you by the Spirit that it's true, they came and checked it out, and they saw the evidence, and yet they still lied about it. They knew that something supernatural had happened, and yet they still lied about it. So what was the evidence that was so compelling, that was so convincing that the angel drew attention to that evidence? What was the evidence? Well, you find the answer in John chapter 20. John chapter 20, we'll be reading verses 1 through 9. 
John chapter 20, verses 1 through 9. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. There's bragging in the Bible. Did you know that? John's the younger man, so he's going, I'm younger, I'm fitter, and I outran Peter. Verse 5. And he, stooping down, this is talking about John, and he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths. I guess I better pronounce it like that. And he saw the linen cloths lying there. And the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Amen. This is so chock full of revelation. Let me break it down for you. So there was something about the linen cloths that caught their eye, that caught their attention, because it's mentioned three times, three verses in a row. Anytime the Holy Spirit does that, he's trying to emphasize something. He's trying to get you to take a closer look and understand what is going on here. This was the evidence that the angel was alluding to. It's not just enough to say that he's no longer in the tomb. Something supernatural had to be left behind as evidence. So armed with that knowledge, let's unpack the passage a little more and see what we can learn. The Jews wrapped their dead like the Egyptians did. Linen cloths were tightly wound around the body just like a mummy. They did not remove vital organs like the Egyptians did, but in most other respects, the process of mummification was very similar. We read earlier in Luke 23 that Joseph of Arimathea asked for the body of Jesus so he could bury him in his own tomb. Then his friend Nicodemus helped him prepare the body of Jesus for burial. Let's read about that real quickly. John 19, verse 39 and 40, because it is germane to the topic. John chapter 19, verse 39 and 40. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. So we're not talking about just a few spices here. This is a lot of stuff. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in the linen cloths. In this case, it says the linen clothes with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. So the myrrh and the aloes were applied to the linen cloth wrappings and formed a shell around the body of Jesus after a period of days that shell began to harden somewhat in the form of a human body. 
So here's a play-by-play of what I think happened when Peter and John got to the tomb that morning. John outran Peter and got there first. He stooped down, looked in, but didn't go in. He must have seen the linen cloth shaped like a human body and assumed Jesus was still in the tomb. Remember, it was still dark. When Peter caught up with John, he passed him by and went directly into the tomb. He looked at the linen cloths, and the scripture says he believed. Then John went in. He also looked at the linen cloths, and he also believed. They knew that Jesus' body was gone, but it had not simply been stolen as Mary Magdalene had thought. He had simply passed through the shell that the burial clothes and the spices had formed without disturbing it whatsoever except for the headdress, which he put in a separate place. Remember in John 11, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he was wrapped up the same way Jesus was. And Jesus said to those around Lazarus, loose him and let him go. So the only way Lazarus could get out of those grave wrappings was for someone to unwrap him. But Jesus got out of his shell without disturbing it, or unwrapping a single linen cloth. That means he had to pass through the shell in some supernatural way. And Peter and John knew that, and that's why they believed. They saw the evidence, and they believed. Amen. And now we have the evidence in writing by men who were led by the Holy Spirit to put the record in the book so we also could hear about that evidence and we also could believe that Jesus is alive. He is risen. So let me wrap this up by saying this. I I pray I have provoked you to thinking about religious traditions and searching the word for answers if some things just don't add up. If I wasn't able to slay some sacred cows to everyone's satisfaction, surely I tipped a few cows for some of you. You know, that's a thing. Farm boys know that. That's a thing, tipping cows. Ha, hallelujah. Maybe I've given you food for thought. And if so, that was my objective. Maybe Good Friday should be Good Wednesday. I believe there's a strong case for it. But this one thing I know for sure, the stone wasn't rolled away from the tomb so Jesus could get out. The stone was rolled away so the whole world could see and hear about the incontrovertible evidence that God had raised Jesus from the dead. He was gone from the tomb, but it was absolutely clear that he had left in supernatural fashion. Once again, let me say it. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed Dr. Forrest's message, Slaying Easter's Sacred Cows. If you're in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 9.45 a.m. for Coffee and Fellowship and 10.30 for Worship and Service. If you would like to learn more about us and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website 
at GoFaithLife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.